As we continue to look towards Ukraine, hoping for a near end to this terrible war, the context and the roles of foreign leaders are a crucial component to consider. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Nico Luxinger, the director of the Asia Society in Switzerland, to take a closer look with me towards Asia and to take a look at China and its relation, so to say, to Russia and to the crisis at the moment. Nico, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's amazing to have you, really. You've been, of course, in your work at the Asia Society, involved in not only political considerations, you're closely monitoring what's going on over there, but you're also having a lot of conversations, I would imagine, with people living there, with people living here, looking towards Asia. Nico, can I ask you, China has so far always followed a political stance of not interfering with any other governments or any other countries uh, yeah really you know political affairs that seems to have shifted a little bit in the last weeks and really the last years even maybe and in this particular case towards Russia so it seems one example that strikes me there is that for example a few weeks ago an image reached us of a Chinese reporter Lu Yonggang who was reporting live from the front line of the invasion on the Russian side that is completely you know that was unseen that is unheard of of course a big indicator of the closeness of China and and Russia would you mind introducing us a little bit to begin this conversation to the China Russia relationship the Chinese view onto Russia and explain a little bit where we stand on this geopolitical issue at the moment. Sure. So I think the one thing that most analysts of the China-Russia relationship, and I'm not one of them, but I've spoken to a fair share of them over the last years, would have told you, you know, pretty much until uh, the invasion into Ukraine happened is that, yes, China and Russia are getting closer, have been getting closer over the last few years. Yes, you know, this is an evolving um, and deepening relationship, but there has always been a sense that there were limits to this relationship. Um, there was a sense that it was imbalanced in mm -hmm. the sense that China, of course, is much bigger and economically much more powerful than Russia. There was a sense that Russia was sort of the dependent, the junior partner in this relationship. And I think that was mm. sort of the mindset with which most people went in to analyzing this conflict and analyzing sort of China's view. And I think what we have to acknowledge, and we can get into why that is, but what we have to acknowledge is that right now, it seems to me that the Chinese point of view, I wouldn't maybe go so far as qualifying it as support for the Russian invasion, but definitely a certain amount of sort of sympathy towards Russia and the Russian position, I think cannot be entirely explained just by sort of a rational view towards the relationship and maybe economic considerations. I think those play in there, but undeniably, I think there is an, a political and, and maybe even ideological dimension to it, which makes China reluctant to break with Russia and sort of join sort of the uh, almost, I think by now sort of global Uh, coalition condemning the invasion. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I think we have to be aware of, I'm not privy to any privileged information here, but it seems obvious to me that at least to an extent, China has been taken by surprise by yeah. what's happened. Um, there are many people who say that China was informed prior that the invasion would happen. That's entirely possible, but they definitely did not expect this to be a protected war the way um, it's come out now. And you could see the Chinese position change and shift at least at the beginning of this conflict on an almost daily basis mm -hmm. so i think for china this is 
not a comfortable position to be in. I think this presents a number of challenges um, and it sort of shows a number of contradictions in the way they conduct foreign policy uh, that they just haven't resolved yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also considering the relationship of the two leaders, right? You're saying that it sort of shifted over the last few years. I mean, Xi Jinping and Putin are very close. They're said to have met over 40 times in person, which is quite extraordinary. And of course, we see some parallels in, you're mentioning foreign policies, that they're running a rather aggressive foreign policy, one might might want to say. Um, they're certainly increasingly oppressive internally towards their own people. We're thinking about such things as freedom of speech and, you know, freedom of the press that surfaces quite a bit at the moment, given the given the conflict. From your conversations with people living there, is that representative of sort of a yeah understanding that that the, these two countries are very close so i'm not sure if the relationship between president xi and president putin is necessarily personally close that may be mm. a, there's probably a, a small number of people on either side who who could answer that question but i'm i'm not one of them yeah. <laughs> um, and i think many other people aren't either and maybe we read a little bit too much into sort of the public displays and, and you know the, the the frequent meetings those could also just be because it makes sense um, right. and i think we tend to forget that those are two con they're actually neighbors yeah they share a very very long border absolutely so you know it's it's as unusual for the two uh, leaders of these two countries to meet as it would be for the heads of state of Switzerland and Germany of to course. meet on a regular yeah. basis, which mm -hmm. which they mm -hmm. do. So I'm not sure if this is unusual. I'm not sure if it necessarily conveys like a deep personal or ideological uh, connection. Again, I think what I mentioned at the beginning, which is that this is a deepening relationship um, and it has been deepening over the last years, but it's definitely not limitless. Um, I think there was a Chinese communique a few weeks ago that said, you know, this relationship has no limits. Exactly, and yeah. To me, that's that's PR, right? Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. Of course, the relationship has there's many, many limits um, in, in, in many, many forms. And I think both sides are, are well aware of that. So um, on, on the political level, I think there's... Uh, there's a certain um, there's a certain usefulness that the two countries have for each other. There's probably a certain ideological closeness which may have grown over last uh, over recent years. Yeah. Uh, but I do also think it's important to look at at the differences, both in terms of the differences of the countries, but also the leaders. Where I think the Chinese side and, and Xi has definitely in the recent years tried to position itself, let's say, more statesmanlike. Uh, mm. As you know, has tried to engage. Um, in, in international um, organizations, I think, much more. And I don't see the Chinese moving away from that, right? Whereas Putin obviously has, you know, has uh, now sort of made made his bet and has become probably for the foreseeable future on the national scene uh, a, a pariah and somebody who, you know, who, who will not be welcomed in, in, in a lot of, uh, in, in a lot of capitals around the world, uh, at least not in the West. And I think she definitely doesn't want to be in that position. So I don't think, I don't see mm. she moving in that direction just because Putin did that. What the view is sort of in the quote-unquote ordinary Chinese on Russia, yeah. I find hard to assess, first I of bet. all, because there is no there is no such thing as the ordinary Chinese <laughs> or the average Chinese. It's yeah. like, I think we tend to forget that it's a 1.4 billion uh, inhabitant country and there yeah. are many different views. Uh, again, there is... There is a history to the relationship. There is cultural closeness, you know, at, at least in the in the border regions. My sense is, uh, but this is very much also mediated, you know, through 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 the media and through social media to the extent that that's visible. 
that sort of a prevailing sense, at least in, you know, let's say Chinese political elites. Mm. I don't think I don't think that necessarily Chinese would condone an invasion and you know, probably not condone a war or at least not that war. Um, but I do think there's also a certain feeling that the West um, and especially the U.S. may not be entirely innocent. I mm. think sort of this is a little bit sort of this idea that um, we're obviously you know against war and we're for peace and we you know want to see this come to a resolution. But I think this. In, in our circles and in the West, sort of almost unanimous assessment that this is an unprovoked aggression from the Russian side would probably not be shared by a lot of Chinese commentators. Whether that would extend to sort of the the man from the street, I'm less sure. My assumption is that, as always, the man on the street has a lot of different issues on his mind mm. um, and may not care quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also not sure whether there is like a sense if that was your question, it was like a sense of like brotherhood between the two peoples. I yeah. think that would be going way too far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's definitely a sentiment on the Chinese side, which is true that Chinese, uh, China has economically been on the rise for the last few years, whereas Russia clearly hasn't. So I think there's, you know, I don't think there's probably going to be a, a strong sense of like shared destiny um, uh, on the Chinese side, at least. Mm-hmm. Whether there's one on the Russian side, I, I really don't know. Mm. Thank you, Nico, for those insights. I think that's very important to to point to that. Um, going a bit further, maybe into into the economic implications, because you rightfully said that China and Russia share a very very long border, and in such, of course, a lot of the um, land trade lines, railways, for example, are going through Russia from the Chinese side into into you know any European you name it. That just sort of prompts me, that thought prompts me to, to, to ask you about but so far. Are you seeing that the sanctions against Russia are already having some kind of implication for China or are they m- mainly untouched by that? I'm thinking about, you know, maybe the disruption mm. of, of, of these these channels or some other uh, things that I might not think of right now. I think the picture is still fuzzy, at least to the extent that I can look at it. And again, I'm not, I'm not a sanctions expert. Um, I think it's very hard to entangle the effects that these sanctions are, are having on, on, on many different levels. Um, a, a few things to consider is that, yes, the Russia-China trade is important, but obviously mm-hmm. the trade that China has with the US and Europe is way, way more important. Yeah. So again, I don't think China would at any time in the near future do something that would jeopardize the trade with the West um, you know, in exchange for trading with Russia. Um, Russia is definitely an important uh, source of energy for the Chinese. But again, I think this is not the support or at least sort of the ambiguity of the Chinese position. That's what I meant at the beginning cannot be entirely explained by Mm. economic considerations. It's not because they're economically so dependent on Russia that they could not afford criticizing Russia. There are countries in Central Asia for for whom that may be true Mm -hmm. and who may refrain from criticizing Russia out of fear of losing critical economic assets. China is not one of those countries. Definitely not. Okay. the other thing which I find important is that, of course, China did not uh, sign on onto the sanctions. So China has not sanctioned Russia. Yeah. But what we're increasingly seeing um, is what somebody coined uh, soft sanctions. So obviously, Chinese companies that have international exposure that you know are doing uh, business with European countries, with with America that have issued sanctions, have to be very very careful now. And you're seeing this effect. So you're seeing Chinese uh, companies 
either pulling out of Russia or maybe putting some projects in Russia on hold. Um, so the, the, the business sector in China responds differently. And as far as I can tell, there's also no pressure being exerted by the Chinese government on these businesses to not do that. So mm-hmm. um, yes, those, the sanctions are having an effect in the sense that um, Chinese companies, if not entirely, then at least in certain ways, um, are having to reconsider their Russia exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that paints a somewhat more nuanced picture. Uh, there's this, this this map of the world going around where, you know, so where they colored in the countries that have sanctioned Russia and the ones that haven't. And of course, you know, it's the US um, and, and all of Europe and then I think Japan and Singapore. But, you know, the, the largest chunk of Asia and, and a big chunk of, of Africa have not issued sanctions. But I think that's too simplistic a view because, again, like the, the effect of the sanctions does play in these countries as well. And the companies in these countries are having to react as well. So yeah. in a way, that those are not sanctions that the Chinese government has issues, but it does affect the China-Russia economic relationship, at least in an indirect way. Um, very much. Yeah. Nico, another question that I'm I'm almost a bit fearful to ask and I, I don't want to, you know, go too far here because I know this is, is a hard topic to address. But China and Taiwan, of course there's a there's a certain relational parallel to the invasion of, of Russia of Ukraine right now that we're sort of fearing something similar might happen, China invading, you know, annexing whatever, Taiwan. May I ask you about that? How do you how do you see that? Of course, I think it's an it's an interesting question. I do want to say that I don't think anybody has an answer. Yeah. Not in the sense that we haven't figured it out. I think it's just really not clear yet. Mm. Um, so there are a few things to look at. So on the face of it, of course, you know, there are certain parallels in the sense that Russia, or at least the Russian president and his staff, in a way, do consider Ukraine to always have been, you know, sort of rightful Russian territory, yeah, and 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 see this war also kind of, you know, in a, as a way of reunification. Although I don't think they've ever actually used that term, as far as I'm aware. And that there are certain similarities with, you know, the the mainland China view towards Taiwan. So I think the first reaction of many analysts was that a Russian success in Ukraine could sort of have second order effects because it would make a Chinese invasion into Taiwan more likely. Yeah. If that's true, we also have to acknowledge that the Russian invasion into Ukraine was anything but successful so far. And the response from the global community, or at least from, from large parts of the global community, has been so forceful that you could also argue that maybe this even acts as a deterrent, you know, that China would have seen that the cost of an invasion on the global uh, stage would be super, super high. So you kind of have these two almost opposing viewpoints. One mm. arguing that the Russian invasion to Ukraine would make a Chinese invasion into Taiwan more likely, and one that argues it would actually make it less likely. Yeah. The most convincing argument that I've read in this thing is that it actually doesn't change anything. And I think that's the correct way to look at it. Uh, the China-Taiwan issue is complex. It has a long history. It is driven by domestic considerations. And whether Russia invades Ukraine or not, and whether that invasion is successful or not, my sense it will have little effect in terms of the Chinese political considerations. And there, I think this the view is unanimous that an invasion of Taiwan is probably not in the cards immediately. Hmm. Of course, that's what everybody said about Ukraine, and they were wrong, so we should take that with a grain of salt. But 
To me, that makes sense. Now, what I think is a little bit less clear is whether the Russian invasion to Ukraine and the response from, from the West um, and, and the coordination of this response would have you know, any medium-term effects on uh, support that is being given to Taiwan. And we have to remember that, of course, a lot of support is already being given to Taiwan. And that's one of the big differences to Ukraine, right? If you just compare how many weapons the U.S. has... Yeah. Uh, delivered to Ukraine over the last few years and compared it with how many weapons they've delivered to Taiwan. Um, those are those are those are radically different numbers. Um, it, it could be that you know we see sort of an an increase in support towards Taiwan as a result sort of of the of the invasion. But I think that would sort of it would mean a res a change of response and a change of attitude um, in the West and not necessarily in China. I think for China. Ukraine doesn't have any specific, wouldn't yield any specific meaningful policy changes when it comes to Taiwan. I think that that strategy is there. It's also, you know, the president of China has made it clear that he sees reunification as an important political goal. Yeah. And I don't think the current situation would change anything on that. But I also don't think it would make it more likely an invasion is happening you know on an accelerated timetable mm -hmm. thank you for 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 those views nico may i ask you as a, as a final question do, do you see xi jinping taking up a role as a peacemaker in all of this that is a very interesting question so i had asked myself this question in the first few weeks of an invasion why they're not doing that to yeah. me it seemed this is almost too good an opportunity to pass up right so Uh, China could come and say we, you know, we are an important global player, which is something that the Chinese say a lot, um, and which is an aspiration that they have. And you know, they could rightfully argue that they have good relations with Russia, that they have good relations with the West, and sort of they could be a broker. I don't know why they've never said that. Hmm. Um, it has been actually floated as an idea by a few people that are not the Chinese government, but that are close to it, and where it's likely that they've only done that. You know, sort of with at least implicit backing, uh, but it's never it's, it's never come to anything. Um, and, and, and right now, it seems to me that the view in China is that this is you know this this could this could end up hurting more than helping. Um, whereas there's a certain there's a certain upside to being a negotiator if negotiations are successful. The risk is that it ends. Uh, up dragging them much more into the conflict and yeah. lead, leading them having to take sides when really mm. they don't want it to. Um, one of my favorite sort of uh, Asia analysts, uh, an American named Evan Feigenbaum, was recently asked in that context how he thinks China would like this to end. Mm -hmm. And his answer was, I think China just wants this to end. Yeah. And I think that's a good take because, again, for China, this is an uncomfortable situation. Uh, the Russian invasion into Ukraine does not make China, China's life easier in any way. But I also don't think China has a clear idea or a clear preference of how you know, this should end, other than that it would be good that this ends. Um, and I think if, with that in mind, I think it may become a little bit more clear why they wouldn't want to act as negotiators, because they themselves probably don't have a clear view of what the resolution of the conflict would look like yeah. and what they would prefer the resolution to be. And in that position, it's probably unwise from a Chinese point of view to act as negotiators. Mm -hmm. Nico, thank you so Fantastic. much. I, I think that these were all very particular viewpoints that I'm, I'm so thrilled to have an expert with me 
participants who so, so deeply ingrained in the conversations um, around Asia to help us understand this a little bit better. It's a very relevant, I think, component on the international and political landscape at the moment. So thrilled to have had you today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Aurelia. And we thank you, as always, so much for listening. We'll be back with more from Bergos now next Friday. Until then, I wish you a wonderful weekend and a successful week. Bye-bye. <laughs>